0: Hello, and welcome to Rise of the Data Cloud. Today, we have a great episode featuring the CEO of Snowflake, Frank Slootman. In this episode, Frank does a deep dive into his new book, Amp It Up, leading for Hypergrowth by raising expectations, increasing urgency, and elevating intensity. He shares business insights that every leader needs to hear as they navigate employee experience, scaling, and data management. So please enjoy this conversation between Frank Slootman, CEO of Snowflake, and your host, Steve Hamm
1: good talking to you, Frank. I read the book a couple of weeks ago and it was really refreshing because you have a certain style that's very kind of like powerful and and straightforward and common sense that I I really appreciate. So well done. Thank you. Yeah. Now you have written several books now, various types, including two since you became the CEO of Snowflake. What's your goal in publishing books And, and this one in particular?
0: I don't consider myself to be an author, although technically I guess I am. It's obviously not my day job either. But I wrote a book 10 years ago now that actually became more sought out as our, our public profile grew. And I was just surprised by how the content affected its intended audience. The book was about our experience at Data Domain, which is a company we ran in, 2003 till 2009, and they talk about the observations and experiences and what we did right and what we did wrong. And people react to fellow travelers, you know, people, basically CEOs and entrepreneurs and founders. They relate differently to the content than somebody who is strictly reading something and parsing it with an intellectual analytical lens. But people that are living it. They relate differently to the content. And I was almost taken aback by the reactions and people were sort of clutching it like a combat manual for entrepreneurs, and it just gave me a sense of responsibility that we need to share observations and ways of thinking. These are not lessons; these are just observations, and I said, and ways of thinking about situations. And then people can do what 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 they want if it speaks to them, then great. And if it doesn't, fine. It definitely comes out of uh, a sense of responsibility to share. We get a ton of inbound requests and we can't really accommodate that, obviously, at at, at having a day job
1: CEO of Snowflake. So the book is really a scalable way to do that. I thought one of the interesting things about it was there are endless management books, you know, strategy, leadership, entrepreneurship, all this kind of stuff but very few books about how to execute. And that's where I think this book really breaks new ground. And it's just, it's so clearly focused on that. And and so clearly based on experience, this is not some professor's book. This is a practitioner's book. So I thought that was good too. Now, one thought I had about it, your title is Amp It Up. And, you know, I've been an observer of businesses as a, as a writer, reporter, and author for like, 30, or actually maybe it's already 40 years, something like that. And the tech industry in particular seems to be pretty well amped. And others during COVID, there's a lot of laser focused on dealing with digital disruptions or COVID related problems. I don't see a lot of complacency. So do you think that capitalism really needs to be amped up right now?
0: It's not just about energizing, which is sort of, if you did a literal explanation of yeah. opening it up, is just just energizing. But it's taking that energy and directing it in certain ways that really yields the result. That's that's what the book is about. We we get questions about, hey, what's the magic here? What's the secret sauce? Where are the silver bullets? And I'm just trying to describe here. What we do, how we do it. Do I think it's highly contrasted to other companies? I do. And that's just based on my own anecdotal exposure through advisory relationships and board seats and so on. But yeah, just energizing obviously it doesn't get you anywhere. That's the same as peeing into the ocean. You're never going to raise the level. <laughs> right, right. But if, if you know how to direct that energy, it becomes a whole different ballgame.
1: Now, I wanted to to go through each of the five steps that you describe in, in Amp It Up and take a look at each one individually. The first one, raise your standards. And for Steve Jobs, the standard was that everything must be insanely great. So in your view, what does it mean to be mission driven? And what's your mission at Snowflake?
0: Our mission at Snowflake is to bring about the data cloud. Even though we have big infrastructure clouds now, and we have huge application clouds, data is as fragmented and proliferated and siloed as a separate bin, and we're sort of resiloing it now in the cloud as well. So we we have a very very clear mission. What what mission driven means is that you have a mission posture as an organization that your whole organization is it has a very very clearly defined end state that it is pursuing literally on a, not just a day-to-day basis, but it sort of permeates your thinking and your attitude and your reactions to, to literally every situation that presents itself. So mission posture is a huge thing because that's how you create focus and that's how you channel energy. And that's sort of how you also fight off distraction, which is sort of one of the biggest problems in the world of, of startups and ventures. Yeah.
1: So number two is align your people. Now, you gave an example in the book about how when you first came in, you're dealing with the sales force, but I think also other people, how you align Snowflake's people around increasing consumption of its services rather than mere bookings. Talk about that and why, why it's so important to align people in, in ways like that.
0: Yeah, that was a very specific situation to Snowflake, but the the more generic case of what happened there is is that different departments and different leaders sort of make things up as they go along on their own, you know, without any consideration of what's going on in the rest of the company and human nature, what it is, they don't naturally align. It's like watching five-year-olds playing soccer, you know, they're all over the field, nobody playing position. So it, it takes real effort. To align people in both inside organizations or across organizations, to get the whole company, not just pulling on the same war, but pulling on the same war in the in the same direction. The situation that you referenced at, at Snowflake is we're a consumption company, so in other words, we should be aligned on consumption, but we weren't. Why? Well, we can get into all the reasons why, but the point was it wasn't, and we needed to restore that, and we did. That's just one example. There were numerous others as well. Yeah.
1: Right. You mentioned distractions before, and, and the third main rule you talk about for Amp It Up is sharpen your focus. So how should people decide what to focus on? And, and what are those main distractions that leaders and employees and companies get caught up with?
0: Well, the distractions are things that that just have barely a relationship with the mission. They may be things that sound good and and look really deserving but the mission should dictate whether that's worthy of consideration or not i find that in the world of business people have a terrible time prioritizing what they should be working on and as a result they have many priorities and when you have many priorities you you actually have none i often have conversations with my own people and it goes like hey if you could only do one thing for the rest of this year one thing what what would that be and why and, and by the way, how do you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. Those
0: are really hard conversations, right? Because people can always give you three. Three is easy, one is incredibly hard, and you're at incredible risk of being wrong, right? But that's, that's the essence of focus. By the way, what, what human beings do is this we have a tendency to spread ourselves thin, a mile wide and an inch deep. Pretty soon, the energy goes out of the organization. We're just trying to get things over our desk. Good enough is good enough. So it has an effect on everything. So prioritization is really something that you do over and over and over, right? And I take things off people's plate instead of putting things on their plates.
1: You know, as a journalist, I covered Microsoft in the 90s in their real heyday. And Bill and Steve actually kind of categorized, they said, here are my three focuses for this year. And they actually allotted the amount of time they would spend on each. And then they made sure that, in fact, there wasn't like a creep, that, in fact, they categorized, I mean, the hours and minutes that they were spending on things. I mean, obviously, it was their admins who were doing this, but that's how focused they were. And I think I actually believe that that was part of the reason that they were so successful for that decade. I mean, it was incredible.
0: Yeah, it's, it's not just having focus, but having the right focus. And you you cannot have the right focus until you, until you start applying really a lens on things in terms of, okay, what is it really that we have to do here? What matters more than than other things? So the process of prioritization and really thinking hard about that is, is, is a key currency in, in teams and organizations.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now, your next rule is pick up the pace. In Silicon Valley, companies and people are famous for working these incredible long hours, but long hours actually may go contrary to to pace if you're just kind of slogging it out. So how do you define the pace of things and how do you get your people to pick up the pace?
0: The lack of focus actually results in these long hours because we've got a million things on our plate and we're swimming in glue and glue and all of that. So to pick up the pace, focus really helps people pick up the pace. But picking up the pace is really the mental perception. Of time frames. Oftentimes we're in meetings and then uh, we have a follow-up and people say, let's meet in two weeks. And I'm like, well, what's wrong with tomorrow morning? Yeah. Right? Why are you saying two weeks? Do you need two weeks for this? Because they're trying to pick a time frame that's comfortable. I'm not interested in comfort. I'm interested in purpose. So human beings are not naturally fast movers. that requires leadership to drive tempo in your organization. And once you do that, I mean, the tempo, the cadence starts to maintain itself because people start to expect it from each other. I mean, yeah. you compressing time frames is something that I constantly do. We're always challenging. Why can't this be done faster? And especially with engineering. Well, you know, it's going to be in the middle of next year, well, middle of next year, man. We're going, I'm getting
1: old here on the job, guys. Come yeah. on. So, no, I, I recognize that. I mean, you know, I working as a, as a reporter, we always, we were always deadline focused. I mean, how quickly do we have to get things done? And, and now I worked for IBM and even though people kind of think of it as big and slow, End of day was typically when things were supposed to get done. So that's what I'm really used to. I'm, I'm now actually in a, on a board in my town and I just, the sluggish pace practically kills me. I just like, what? We're going to do that next month? I think you're really, you're really spot on with this. Another of the major elements that you talk about in the book was actually not so much of an amping element. It was kind of related. You talk about transform your strategy. Leadership isn't all about amping. It's the role of the CEO to set strategy and to carefully consider all the angles. So tell us how you have amping and thoughtful consideration of long-term strategies and, and actions. How do you balance those and, and and work that out?
0: It is definitely true that, that most of our uh, our waking hours are spent on, on execution-oriented tasks, and you, you can't be tweaking about strategy all day long. At the same time, well, everybody's having their, their head down. You need to have your head up. And it's not just the CEO, it's really leadership teams, leaders in the organization that are involved in, in, in strategy conversation as well. Strategy is a force multiplier of execution, of course, and the better you are at execution, the more clear do your strategic challenges become because it's now apparent what's related to execution and what's really related to, to the strategic choices that you made. But to just give you an example, at Snowflake, when I arrived there, Snowflake was a data warehouse built for the cloud. And that data warehousing positioning was very beneficial to the company in the early days because it was an understood segment of the market. There was a buying center there. There was budget there. And the product profiled itself really, really well in terms of benchmarking and, and using proof of concepts to compare and contrast workloads running on Snowflake versus running on on-premise environments or, or other cloud platforms. So it worked, right? But it also was a very confining strategy. We put ourselves in the box very successfully. And I realized very, very quickly after I started that strategy-wise, that was not good. Execution-wise, it was, right? Because our competition would like nothing better to either boxes out or boxes in. In other words, if we're in, right. I'm gonna keep you in that box so you can't grow bigger. So we, we started to basically bust up our box, if you will and expand our strategic footprint. In other words, how we thought about ourselves, how we presented ourselves to companies. What is the scope of the workload spectrum that we're going to be addressing here? So that customers could really think of us differently than strictly executing these traditional data warehousing workloads. So that led to the strategy of the data cloud, which we think is a,
1: is a super, super important strategy. So that's an example of that. Oh, I think that's great. I, I really enjoyed one of your little comments in the book was in terms of strategy, you said, do it yourself. I thought that was really nice. The point is, of course,
0: I mean, we should be the experts in our field, right? In other words, if if we're not, how can somebody coming in there with a bunch of spreadsheets tell us what to do, right? We have to be the expert. I expect our people to be the expert. I need to be the expert. So we hold ourselves to that standard. And that's really the the, the point that is, is there a role for consultants? I'm sure in larger companies, and that's usually where they live anyways, Right. there is, because that's a whole different dynamic. But for companies like ours, come on, we are the stewards of our destiny here.
1: Right, right. You got it. Hey, let's talk about culture for a minute. In the book, you write about the gaps that can exist between an organization's stated values and the actual culture of the place. So how can leaders spot gaps like that and how can they deal with them?
0: Well, if you're paying attention, and by the way, that, that's, a, that's a big if, because a lot of people are, are don't have their antenna out for, for, for the variances that you can observe between what we profess ourselves to be and what we actually are. Snowflake has beautifully articulated value statements. We talk about putting customers first, integrity always, think big, be excellent, get it right. done. And that's like the modern version of, of virtue signaling. We'll, we'll tell you how great we are. But the real culture was do whatever you want as long as you make your numbers. And that's how people behave because that was the real culture as opposed to the, the professed or or declared ones. You can't live like that, right? Because you're lying to yourself. And, and the only way to bring your, your real culture in compliance with what you aspire to be is you need to start prosecuting the gaps. When I say prosecuting, both to the negative as well as to the positive the negatives have to be called out they have to be dealt with for everybody to see but the positives also and when you see things that, that really exemplify your values let's recognize it let's reward it right and let let everybody see that this is this is what we what we aspire to organizations are no different than kids and pets they learn from consequences <laughs> okay they learn and they also learn from zero consequences by yeah yeah
1: yeah, it's, it's interesting. Transparency is so important. I mean, because I think in a lot of corporate culture for decades, if there was somebody who wasn't really behaving quite properly or, or was really screwing up, that would be handled quietly on the side. But now you actually have to make examples. You have to fire people for these things and, and you have to make sure that people know it was this. That was the problem, but that must be a little tricky. I mean, obviously you have have privacy issues and personnel issues, but how do you expose the behavior without making it too personal?
0: Well, I talk about situations without mentioning names. Okay. So in other words, I just anonymize it, but obviously people know, right? Because it's talked about, it's not about demonizing individuals, right? It's really about setting examples and explain to people what behavior we want and, and what behavior we don't want. And these are just examples that we use to, to communicate that and to teach that, right? It's, it's not about the incident. It's about what does this mean?
1: Yeah. yeah. Now, you have a mantra that's key to snowflakes culture. I don't think it's in the, the official values list, but it, but it's it, it, maybe it should be. It's go direct. Explain what that is and how it works.
0: Yeah. Aside from a list of values, you know, we also have a list of things that we can do every day. That's actually more uh, more useful than values. Values are subject to interpretation, but we we talk about things we can do every day. People come to me and they they have an idea, and uh, or they want something changed, or they want to criticize something, or, or or somebody. And I'm like, Why are you telling me? Why don't you just go directly to the right, place? Right where that person live or that function lives, right? And people are very comfortable operating vertically in their organization. They go to their manager and have a conversation. Well, how about cross your organizational boundaries and go directly to the place where that situation is owned and can be influenced? People don't do that naturally. They love to delegate up and down, but they don't want to go across and, and confront directly the situation with the people that are that are in charge of that or responsible for that. So, we emphasize that over and over again because organizations need to operate laterally and, and not according to org charts. You know, org charts is just a way of, of, of organizing a, a chain of command, but the organize, organizations really need to operate on influence, right? That means you go direct. I mean, if you have something to say, say it. Basically, have the strength of your convictions, have the logic of your argument. At Snowflake, People are not impressed by your title. They're impressed by what case are you bringing to the conversation? What data and rationale do you have that we should consider, right? And that's how organizations should function. And by the way, I have a a weekly meeting with my extended leadership team where we connect the dots across all our functions. It has to happen at at the top level that we all go direct. We all call each other up because if we don't, what do you think is going to happen when you go down the line, right? Nobody is doing it. So we lead by example all day long. It's not about titles. And people rarely come to me directly to adjudicate because they know, go direct. Why are you coming to me? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Now, is help me understand this. Is go direct mainly a lateral kind of thing? You have an issue or, or you want to resolve something with somebody on your level? Or do you actually have urged people? You can go to somebody in another organization that you're dealing with who's two levels above you and talk to them directly. Is that supposed to happen too, or is it mainly just same level? Uh, don't, don't take laterally, uh, literally. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. right. <laughs> uh, it means you can talk to anybody outside of your chain of command, whether they're 10 levels up or 10 levels down. Right. I mean, these levels mean very little. What, what matters is who should we have that conversation with? Who can impact that situation?
1: Right. Yeah. When I was at IBM, we had a, a gym in the headquarters, and it was in the headquarters. So if somebody's on the treadmill, even if they're like a vice president, senior vice president, you can actually approach them and they're trapped. So I, I tried that, not a lot, but a couple of times and it, it, it seemed to work pretty well. I didn't get fired anyway.
0: We, we always, because we hire so many new people and literally hundreds of people come in new. And so we have to repeat ourselves because it's not a natural reflex that people have. But yeah. once they get it, they're like, I'm totally cool with it. You know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Now, you speak often about the importance of companies being data-driven and mobilizing their data. So here we're talking about amping it up. How do you use data to help amp up Snowflake?
0: Well, data is really changing in terms of you know, the role at place in, uh, in enterprises and institutions. And a lot of it is under the influence of organizations becoming what we call direct-to-consumer. They don't no longer have intermediaries. They're completely digital even in retail and banking and people have traditionally operated through stores and branches, other interaction methods other than digital, they become incredibly dependent on, on data because, A, that's how you deliver the service. It's how you sell the service. It's how you manage the experience everything your, your, your enterprise or your institution is at that point is a digital experience. So data becomes sort of the, the beating heart, if you will, of your enterprise. And it has many manifestations. It has its understanding data relationships, what causes what. Once you can describe data relationships, you can also predict them. When you can predict them, you can take action need either increase the price of something or the policy on something or the approach to something. But data really becomes the way you start parsing reality as opposed to just anecdotal observation, which is what, what humans historically have done. The other thing that's super important is, I mean, we've We've historically used data to inform people. Right? We would run very complicated, highly scaled batch analytics processes. We people come in in the morning, and we populate their dashboards, and they get a view of what happened the previous day. But it's just eyeballs looking at dashboards, and then you know you hope, like hell, that somebody's going to derive something useful from it, and maybe even do something with it. The changes where we're going toward data-driven operations. There's, there's, we no longer have human intermediation anymore, right? It's all lights out, light speed. It's programmatic, and it's near real time. And
1: God, that is really what digital transformation yes. means. Yeah. I get uh, that. That's such nice. a huge change. Yeah, I see how that does amp it up because, in some cases, in many cases, humans can clog up the machine essentially if it if it's a routine matter. So. If you do it very directly, another kind of directness, you can just be much more efficient and effective.
0: Yeah, we, we had a conversation a couple of years ago with the CEO of, of Geico and we were getting in there and he didn't want to talk about architecture and infrastructure. He was completely bored by that because he's the CEO, you know, he's interested in the business and he's like, look... What if I had disproportionately high bodily injury claims in one state and not the surrounding states? How would I then explain that? We we were like put on our heels because, (laughs) (laughs) oops. But the point was, look, once I can explain it, I can predict it and I can change my my policy premiums or my policy terms. See, now, now I'm running my business with data, right? And it's driving it directly. And obviously insurance is, of course, a data business in pure form, it always has been, right? So they, they relate really well to that, that way of thinking.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. Now, we're coming to the end here. I wanted to mention something. I, a few months ago, you guys pulled up stakes, pulled out of Silicon Valley, put the headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, and kind of a head scratcher for some people, but you had your reasons. Are there any leadership lessons in that move, either that you, that, took you to make the move or that you've learned from making the move
0: we really had no intention of so-called moving the headquarters to bozeman what we wanted to do is, is really eliminate the institution of headquarters altogether. yeah and 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 the, and the reason is i mean during the pandemic we didn't have headquarters how oh, we, never, we never got into our, our our offices for for well to this day almost two years in right so, in other words, you know, the headquarters is between your ears. It's when we when we connect that that's headquarters for the duration of, of that connection, right? The idea that there is one physical place where all the smart people are that make all the decisions, we found it absurd. I mean, you know, forty percent of our engineering operations are not in California. They're actually up in Bellevue, Washington. They're in they're in Germany in Berlin. They're in Poland. I really didn't want to have this situation in the company where all the important things happen in, in San Mateo, California, and the rest of you. Well, you're just hopefully the, the beneficiary of that, right? right? And even in the military, they, they don't use these, these concepts anymore because they have command posts, they have logistical headquarters. In other words, they're purpose-based, right? Where you concentrate resources. And that's really what I meant. And of course, I didn't feel that the state of California should have overriding influence on us as a global company. I mean, the state of California is just one state and it's not even a state where we do most of our business. Obviously, it's not. And it's also not where most of our employees are. So th- that was the reason. Now, the reason that, that Bozeman, Montana came along is because the SEC said, yeah, not so fast. You do need a snail mail address because if we want, if we want to send you mail, we need to have a place to send it. And so and then they said, well, that's also be a place where your CEO and your CFO are, are maintaining residency. Well, by happenstance, that happened to be in the state of Montana. Pure coincidence. OK, so do people really think I'm going to run the company from Bozeman, Montana? I'm going to be all over the place. I'm going to be where I need to be. Right. right, right. This is a global operation. I'm in Europe every six to seven weeks. Um, I'm on the East Coast. I'm, I'm, I'm not fixed location. That is such an outdated way of thinking.
1: Yeah, I love the way how this process has really been so symbolically important to shape the psychology of the employees, to really value them, signal the value to them, but also give them license to be important. Important decisions and ideas can come from anywhere. So I think that's really, that's really a cool thing.
0: That's exactly right. And really, we're, we're all equal. It's not like, oh, your headquarters, you headquarters. Know, you, you must be really important.
1: That's not the culture that we're trying to create here. Well, good. It, it's been great talking to you. And we used to spend a lot of time together a couple of years ago. Now less so, but it's always good to check in. And as I said, right at the top, I thought the book was really powerful, but it's fun. It's full of useful information, all that kind of stuff. Some of your, the way you write in this kind of bold style, and so at first some of the ideas say, well, that seems kind of simplistic, but then you give these beautiful concrete examples of the principles in practice. And I think it really comes through very quickly. So it really is a primer on execution and one that I think even seasoned leaders, not just beginners can benefit from. So congratulations on the book.
0: Uh, thanks, Steve. I, I really appreciate the comments. Thank you. The Data Cloud World Tour is making 21 stops around the globe, so you can learn about the latest innovations at Snowflake's Data Cloud at a venue near you. Join your fellow data leaders at one of our full-day events to network with Snowflake customers and technology partners, attend educational breakout sessions, and learn how to drive more value from your data. Find an event near you at www.snowflake.com/data-cloud-world-tour.